there's a couple of other kind of really great opportunities for AI and education. And one of them is with when you combine AI with virtual reality and augmented reality technologies that already exist, you know, you create these immersive educational experiences, enabling students to explore virtual environments, conduct experiments, participate in simulations. And that happens still, that's happening now, but you can scale that and you can leverage that for work-based learning opportunities and activities, career exploration. I mean, imagine if it became so widely used that you could do something like this at the career services level. The workforce landscape is rapidly changing and educators and their institutions need to keep up. Preparing students before they enter the workforce to make our communities and businesses stronger is at the core of getting an education. But we need to understand how to change and adjust so that we can begin to project where things are headed before we even get there. So how do we begin to predict the future? Hi, I'm Salvatrice Kumo, Vice President of Economic and Workforce Development at Pasadena City College and host of this podcast. And I'm Christina Barsi, producer and co-host of this podcast. And we are starting the conversation about the future of work. We'll explore topics like how education can partner with industry, how to be more equitable, and how to attain one of our highest goals, more internships and PCC students in the workforce. We at Pasadena City College want to lead the charge in closing the gap between what our students are learning and what the demands of the workforce will be once they enter. This is a conversation that impacts all of us. You, the employers, the policymakers, the educational institutions, and the community as a whole. We believe change happens when we work together. And it all starts with having a conversation. I'm Christina Barsi. And I'm Salvatrice Kumo. And this is The Future of Work. Welcome back. This is Salvatrice, your host. And I am joined today by my friend and colleague, in the Office of Economic and Workforce Development, Ms. Leslie Thompson, who is our Director of Operations. Leslie, welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. Very good. Very good. You know, these chats are really, really helpful. I think I'm going to be selfish and say they're super helpful for me because it helps flesh out a lot of the noise around information that we receive here at the office and some of the conversations we have just offline, online, etc. And I'm super excited about this topic, and I thought it might be a good idea if you kind of gave a little insider scoop on what's been on our mind lately to our listener. Sure. I think it's a great topic. We did touch on it in our last session, artificial intelligence in education. And in that one, we kind of did a broad overview. We talked about some opportunities and challenges. We touched on a little bit about preparing students to be in a workforce that includes AI, but since then, you know, we've continued the conversation offline and have done, you know, some other kind of poking around and we came across a really interesting study from the U.S. Department of Education that, you know, we can talk about a little bit. Mm-hmm. And we thought it'd be kind of cool to have a conversation on the show about opportunities in education for AI and also kind of look a little closer at this idea of equity of access, because we're always about equity of access, mm-hmm. and kind of address how we address some of those challenges. That's what we've been talking about offline, as you know, and we decided, right. well, let's get together and kind of talk about it here so that the listeners can participate. And as always, we'd love to hear from the listeners if they have any resources they'd like to share, too. I'd like to put that out there. For sure. Let's start with the information that we've 
stumbled across, which is, or the research that we stumbled across, which from the Department of Education, specifically the Office of Technology, around mm-hmm. the future of learning and teaching, you know, very, very appropriate in the objective and the purpose of the Future of Work podcast, because the future of learning and teaching directly affects the talent that we produce, right, as a system. And I think one of the most amazing things that stood out for me in this research was, and they were very, very clear, and they underscored it, and they said it in their webinar, AI will not replace teachers, will not replace faculty. I mean, in our first conversation, we talked about a lot of the fears around AI Mm -hmm. and this fear around taking jobs away. It's a real fear. It's an absolute real fear. And it's not only just in education, but it's in all areas of industries. In some cases, AI does take over jobs. It evolves the job. But in this particular case, one of the key insights that really stood to me was that AI is an enhancement to teaching. It is building upon what modules and mechanisms and ways in which we teach, providing just alternatives to teaching and really doing a lot of enhancements. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of like the biggest key takeaway I had. Did you have a key takeaway from it? Well, there's a couple of things. Like, firstly, I agree 100% with the idea that the opportunities that exist outweigh the the risks. Like we talked about last time, you still need human interaction. You still need human input. You still need content experts. You still need someone to validate the product, the output, right? Monitor the output. Maintain, you know, ethos and values around the output, right? So there's still a role for that. And two things that came out in that, well, there was a lot of stuff in that report, and it just came out in May, by the way. So it's May 2023. So this is not, you know, stale stuff. That's right. It was the importance of involving faculty and practitioners in the development and deployment of these technologies. Super important. It's not happening to us. It's happening with us, right? I think that's important. There was a quote in their summary, and I'm just going to read it because I think it was pretty cool. It said, We envision a technology-enhanced future more like an electric bike and less like robot vacuums. On an electric bike, the human is fully aware and fully in control, but their burden is less and their effort is multiplied by a complementary technological enhancement. And I think that goes to the other piece you were saying about how it's enhancing education, it's enhancing the workplace. It's, It's a tool that we use that makes things easier and better for us. And we'll put in the show notes a link to this report. It's called Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Teaching and Learning, Insights and Recommendations. The report itself is, you know, over 50 pages. And it's a really interesting read. And there's a lot more to it. But I agree with those two main points. I wanted to kind of revisit this idea of opportunities in education as it exists, like broad stroke opportunities, some of which we already touched on last time. Things like personalized learning. AI-powered systems can create personalized learning experiences tailored to individual student needs. That's important. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean by that? Students have certain individual student needs and learning styles. AI analyzes vast amount of data like we talked about last time. So they can analyze student performance, preferences, progress, where they are. And these uh, AI algorithms can adapt content and instructional strategies to maximize learning outcomes. So that's kind of low-hanging fruit, right? You you collect all this data anyway in various ways. So if you're using it intentionally, Mm -hmm. 
for the purpose of improving student learning outcomes, that's a win, right? Some of these things are already being done. This is not like we're saying in the future you can do. These are things that are happening. That's right. Adaptive assessment, right? So facilitating these adaptive assessments to dynamically adjust the difficulty level of content and tests based on students' ability. Again, they're collecting this data that here's where the student is. You can change the content in such a way that it's challenging the students appropriately. We talked about intelligent tutoring systems last time. There's also a lot of opportunity with language translation and accessibility for students who English or any language isn't their first language, and these tools can be very useful for that. Another interesting one, I don't know why I wasn't surprised or what, you know, why I didn't think about it, it was the massive open online courses, the MOOCs, mm-hmm. been around for years now, right? So AI can enhance those by offering automated grading, um, feedback on assignments, facilitating discussions, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then one of the more interesting ones to me that we had talked about offline was the intelligent content creation, right? So AI can help creating educational content like textbooks, videos, interactive models and modules and all of that, all of these things that we rely on, you know, publishers or other content generators, AI can participate in that. AI can create that content as long as it's vetted, like we talked about before. There's a potential there to save a lot of money if you're cutting out, you know, you think about the publishing industry alone, like there's a lot that goes into bringing a book to market, a textbook to market. Mm-hmm. Why are they so expensive, right? And it, that's why they're so expensive. And then you have like open education resources. There's just so much opportunity for that intelligent content creation, particularly for education. That's really exciting to me. If you mm-hmm. partner that with like open education resources and it's free and it's timely and it's constantly updated, I think that's pretty cool. I do. We you know we go back to errors. And I wonder when we think about intelligent content creation, I mean, all of this, all of what you said is absolutely right. Those are the opportunities. I also think there's a layer of our own human due diligence on the authenticity and the realness of the information. And I think that's stressed so much in any publication that we've read Mm -hmm. is that human element, that human that's in the loop of this information portal, if you will, right? Like the humans now become the catalyst to the information versus the human having the information, right? Like it's like they're this third party. We're becoming this third party between AI and the delivery. There's Mm -hmm. a bumper in between, which led me to think about, you know, institutions and our role. I mean, there's a faculty's role, there's an educator's role, but then what about the institution's role in informing and involving faculty in a shared vision of AI and how is AI maybe reshaping how institutions are positioning themselves in the community, how they're positioning themselves with industry, how they're positioning themselves with student success, how they're positioning themselves with the outcomes that we are chartered to fulfill you know, AI has been around forever, like, by the way, like, let's not forget that it's been around for over 50 years. We're just seeing different phases and evolutions of it now more so than ever. But it's like, it's forcing us to really examine our positionality in the space. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a really great, beautiful thing. And it trickles, ultimately just trickles into the classroom. Mm -hmm. But I'm really curious about that. I'm really curious about where that's going to lead us as bodies of institutions and what policy is going to be put in place 
maybe there already is. And I'm just, you know, I'm not really quite aware of any policy changes around AI and education and teaching and learning. I'm sure there's things out there right now, but how does that influence or affect our work? And it leads to delivery, right? Like, so what do we need for delivery? From an institutional perspective, there's certain kind of infrastructure investments that need to be made. Right. I think two things from an institutional level. The institutions, by and large, should do everything in their power to minimize obstacles to implementation. And that can be anything from infrastructure investment to professional development to acquisition of, you know, softwares, whatever. And like we had touched on before, the commitment to preserving the integrity of data that's collected, particularly student data, throughout this process. So that's kind of a high level, like from the institutional perspective. They need to empower the faculty to embrace the technology. They need to create an environment in which the technology can be leveraged across the board. There's a couple of other kind of really great opportunities for AI and education. And one of them is with when you combine AI with virtual reality and augmented reality technologies that already exist, you know, you create these immersive educational experiences, enabling students to explore virtual environments, conduct experiments, participate in simulations. And that happens still, that's happening now, but you can scale that and you can leverage that for work-based learning opportunities and activities, career exploration. I mean, imagine if it became so widely used that you could do something like this at the career services level. I want to do career exploration. Well, let me get this equipment, you know, however it gets delivered so that students can actually begin exploring work sites and environments and occupations before they even commit to a course of study. Like at the very beginning of their career exploration journey, I think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. One of the greater opportunities for AI is it has the potential and it should democratize access, right? It can provide educational resources to remote or underserved populations, people that wouldn't ordinarily have access to these things. That's, again, an institutional responsibility. All institutions, not just ours. Institution needs to ensure that all students have equitable access to new emerging and existing technologies across the board, Mm -hmm. which kind of segues into this idea of, like, what's the role of artificial intelligence and the digital divide in education, right? Like, the digital divide is, it's not a new conversation. I mean, people have been talking about it at least since the 90s, right? But what are the implications for AI? Does it have the potential to increase access to education? Like, we're suggesting, I think it does. But it also does have implications uh, for the digital divide. And that digital divide refers specifically to, to the gap between those who have access to digital technologies and those who don't. That simple. Right. And we saw some of this kind of percolating up during COVID, right, during the lockdown, when everyone was transitioning to this online environment. And I remember hearing stories about students were going to McDonald's to get their Wi-Fi. Neighborhood infrastructures weren't support everybody online at the same time. They were having issues. Even here at PCC, we had students in the parking lot to access the Wi-Fi. The campus was closed, but you could come park in the parking lot all day to access the Wi-Fi. Like, so right. the digital divide, while it may be a dated term, is not a, a dated concept. And it's still very much a thing now, even though we don't see it that way because everybody's got a cell phone and everybody's doing all the things. But there is a potential for AI to kind of play into that in some way. So, mm. I mean, as I'm hearing you talk this through, you're right. Term might be outdated, but the reality is still the reality. And this idea of how does AI positively influence the infrastructure Mm -hmm. 
I'm trying to like really visualize that and imagine that in my head, what might that look like? That would be really kind of interesting to do a deeper dive research on areas, cities, counties that are putting some serious effort around Mm -hmm. that, you know, outside of our own, right? And to do a study about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it varies by community and it varies by school district and it varies, you know, there are a lot of like socioeconomic variables in terms of like what the infrastructure looks like between schools and, you know, resources. It's nothing new depending on, you know, it's why is it so important to where you live if you have kids? Because if you have children, you want to live in the right area so they can go to the better schools because what makes a better school? Greater access to resources, a better infrastructure, you know, they're prepared for college, right? Digital divide, I to revisit, there's kind of three segments as we're talking about it. One would be an access divide, right? Mm-hmm. Referring to the possibilities that people have to access the resource in the first place. One is a use divide, referring to the lack of digital skills, which impedes the handling of technology. And the last one, there are more, but the third one is quality of use gap, refers to the significant lack of opportunity. I think those three institutions have a responsibility for helping mitigate the negatives of that. So say that again, it was the access, right? So the use divide, the use divide and the quality of use divide, which is the quality of use gap rather. So that refers again to the lack of opportunity to use it. So you don't, Mm. you don't get to use it as often and you don't get as much quality of experience with it. You know, I'm trying to think of like everyone you think of, because everyone has a cell phone. Well, some people still have, like, I think of like, you know, my father, he has a flip phone. Yes, he has a cell phone, but there's definitely a quality of use gap there. He's not doing any of the fun stuff. Like he's literally just answering his phone. So there's a different level of engagement with technology. Right. That's just a silly example. But it's also an affordability factor, right? Like it doesn't have to be someone in that generation. It could be someone in our generation or younger that it becomes a access to resources, that's where it becomes the institution's Issue. responsibility yeah. and the right. city's responsibility and, you know, and so on. It's a government's responsibility to ensure that um, inhabitants have access to these things that are necessary. Okay, so access to technology, that was a big one, right? So AI-powered educational tools that rely on digital devices and internet connectivity. Disadvantaged communities or developing communities may not have access to those in equal measure. So that's important to address, Right. Again, the technological infrastructure in general, these require robust technological infrastructures. A lot of the AI tools that we're talking about require robust technological infrastructures. So at bare minimum, any college or any college university or K through 12, any school district needs to invest in the technological infrastructure in order to implement these tools, first and foremost. And then you need to invest in the people to the professional development. I would really like to hear from our listeners who are currently addressing this within their own institutions, within their own cities, and within their own states. You know, how are they addressing the AI and learning and teaching, the future of learning and teaching? And then how are they also addressing this divide that we just talked about? Mm-hmm. I've never heard it separated like you just did. I've never heard it compartmentalized in those three buckets about access, use, and quality. Yeah. And different people segment it different ways. Yeah. But I love it. Honestly, this is the first time I've heard anyone divided up as such. And so I'd be super curious. I know that you would too, right? Because this is, we dig this work. I would be really interested in hearing, this is how we're approaching this. Mm-hmm. This is what's worked for us. This is how we've enhanced our infrastructure in order to support the elements of AI, as well as 
the divide that continue to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, it's going to always be a challenge unless every institution, every industry, every business owner, every municipality, every state is following the same playbook, right? Mm -hmm. But it's going to take quite a bit of time. But in the meantime, there are models that, you know, that are working. And I'd be curious to explore that if one of our listeners has an example of that. Yeah. I think that'd be really fascinating to hear from somebody. Kind of to wrap up that idea, there are, let's say four, (laughs) four Mm -hmm. kind of ways that we might address some of the challenges. And one of which, really two of which kind of touch on what you just said. The first one is the infrastructure development, which we talked about, right? Governments and organizations need to continue to invest in building and expanding technological infrastructure. That's a given that has to happen in order for us to all keep pace with technology as it's evolving in general, right? Mm -hmm. Another one is equity-centered design. AI systems and tools should be developed with an equity-centered approach, taking into account the needs of diverse learners and addressing potential biases. We talked last time about unintended biases and how we have to be mindful of that. Comprehensive digital literacy programs should definitely be implemented to equip teachers, students, communities with the skills necessary to navigate. That's a big one. The last one, which kind of touches on what you are talking about is everybody using the same playbook, is this idea of partnership and collaboration, collaborations between governments, educational institutions, nonprofits, the private sector. They can all help to bridge the digital divide. If everyone is pulling together for the same common goal, then that minimizes the impact of the digital divide. It facilitates resource sharing, promoting affordable access to technology, and supporting the development of inclusive AI solutions. So I think keeping this idea of equity, and again, we try to keep that in our conversations for everything we do. How is it equitable? How is it just? How does it matter? Does it hurt anybody? What are the unintended consequences? Those are the conversations we have internally in EWD and also at Pasadena City College. That's kind of how we do. And so I think it's important for this conversation as well. So if we actively address this concept of a digital divide and implement inclusive practices, then there's really no reason why AI and education can't be harnessed to provide equitable opportunities and who knows what sort of benefits, all sorts of benefits. Right, right. Well, that's a really great way to, you know, sunset this conversation. And I think we did another unpack and I loved it. We have so much more to unpack, but I certainly enjoy these conversations because it does give the listener a little glimpse about kind of what's on our mind, how we even process the information. Right. We're learning as we go. That's right. Again, I want to invite the listener to access and download the report from the U.S. Department of Education Office of Educational Technology. I think it's really interesting. and, And don't take our word for it. Read it yourself. It's pretty cool. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much, Leslie. And We're off to the races again, and uh, so much, so much we're doing here at PCC and at EWD, and I look forward to the next solo chat. Again, so much more to unpack. There's so much stuff. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out and sharing this time. This is great. I love our conversations. You bet. Catch you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Future of Work podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on your favorite listening platform so you can easily get new episodes every Tuesday. You can reach out to us by clicking on the website link below in the show notes to collaborate, partner, or just chat about all things Future of Work. We'd love to connect with you. All of us here at the Future of Work and Pasadena City College wish you safety and wellness.